indeed, right? The tomb is empty. And if he's risen, then he's reigning. Amen. He's on the throne. The Bible says he's ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And if he is reigning, then he is returning. He's coming back. Just as the Old Testament is saturated with prophecies concerning Christ's first advent, both Testaments are filled with references to the second coming of Christ. One scholar estimates that there are 1,845 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament. And there are 17 books in the Old Testament that give it prominence. In the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second advent of Christ. An amazing one out of 30 verses. 23 of the New Testament books refer to this great event. For every prophecy concerning Christ's first advent, there are eight which look forward to His second coming. You think about that for just a moment. Makes it kind of hard for a preacher to pick just one to preach from. But we will be in Matthew chapter 24. We're going to hear it from the Lord Himself. Amen. At Matthew chapter 24. I'd love for you to stand with me as we read Matthew 24. We begin in verse 29. We hear the Lord. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the promise of Christ's second coming. We know, Lord, that you are coming again. Lord, we don't doubt that in our minds. Lord, we love you and we welcome you. At any moment, you may return, and let us be ready for that moment. Lord, let us be diligently seeking you and loving you as if you're already here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I love sharing this biblical truth, and I get to from time to time when we come to this subject, but here's the, the biblical truth. Jesus will return whether you're ready or not. We used to play the game, hide and seek, remember that? And you count it down, and then you, you get to whatever number you're counting to, and then, ready or not, here I come. Well, the Lord Jesus is going to come whether we're ready or not. It's a time that's fixed. I, I love what Paul said to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. He said, he has fixed a time where he will come. It's a time that's fixed. It's an appointment that's been made. Nothing in heaven or on earth will change the fact that He is returning. He's coming to His earth, and He will reclaim those who belong to Him. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But this morning, I want to give you three paradoxes concerning Christ's return. Some of you say, well, what's a paradox? It it's, seems like a contradiction, but it's not. Someone explained a paradox this way uh, with Swiss cheese. 
Swiss cheese has a lot of holes. The more holes you have, the less cheese you have. The more cheese you have, the more holes you have. Thus, the more cheese you have, the less cheese you have. Now, did you follow that? An apparent contradiction. That's what a paradox is. So here's the first paradox concerning the return of Christ. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Now, this is something that we see all throughout the New Testament that is prophesied that Paul speaks about how there will be a a lawlessness that increases. And Jesus talks about lawlessness increasing and how it's going to get worse before it gets better. If you look again with me in verse 29, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days... Immediately after the tribulation, we say, well, what tribulation? Well, Jesus has begun this discourse on the Mount of Olives, looking out across uh, that, that valley there, the Valley of Kidron, looking over into the Mount of the Temple. And they've said to Jesus, Jesus, look at all the, this beautiful temple and all the stones and everything. And Jesus said, not one stone is going to be left upon another. So they said, well, when's that going to happen? Tell us about that. They wanted to know what we want to know. When are these things going to take place? Well, Jesus doesn't focus on the when, but He focuses on the how. How is it going to happen? Why is it going to happen? And what? What are we going to do? And He speaks of a time where things are going to get much worse. The most literal reading of Matthew 24 is the then after those those days after the tribulation, the most literally reading is that the return and the resurrection and the rapture of the church are all one singular event. Now, I know that messes with some of your pre-trib rapture theology, and I'm sorry if it does. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It says immediately after the tribulation, these things happen. Okay? This tribulation that he speaks of, Verses 4 through 28, false Christ will come. I thought about uh, David Koresh. They've got a new documentary out about the Davidites that went down in a blaze of glory, not so much glorious, in Waco, Texas. And how they followed him, and you listen to the people that were brainwashed by him. And even to this day, they believe that he was the Messiah. Wow. Wow. False Christ will come. Wars and rumors of wars. I mean, turn on your news and what do you hear about? China possibly invading Taiwan. Russia invading North Korea. It's already happened. Uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Russia invading, uh, help me, <laughs> Ukraine. Uh, and so you have all of these wars and rumors of wars that are taking place even now. Just turn the TV on. Famines. Well, we don't live in a famine here, but it's, we're not very far from being from one if inflation continues. Earthquakes. I mean, I see it on the news all the time about earthquakes happening in all kinds of various places. A great falling away. Tribulation that causes a great falling away. Those are people who are in churches that leave churches and don't come back. That's what we're talking about. So if you think that it's bad for the church today, it's going to get worse. False prophets, people that proclaim the truth to to be proclaiming the truth, but not be proclaiming the truth. 
There are pulpits all across America today that are filled with false prophets that are teaching that you can have your sin and Jesus too. That's false prophecy. You, they, you have people filling pulpits just like this one here today that tell you that what Jesus really wants is for you to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous here on this earth. And folks, that's a false gospel. There's a woke mentality out there that's filling pulpits that are telling us that the, the social justice in America is the most important thing for Christians to be focusing on. Folks, that's a false gospel. Then an increase in lawlessness. You think about these laws that are being passed today. <clears throat> I'm thankful for a governor who stands up and says, no, we're not going to pass that kind of nonsense. Instead, we're going to act against you know, transitioning a minor from their gender to the opposite gender. What, what in the world are we thinking? Lawlessness is increasing. And it's continuing to get worse. The gun violence in America. We could go on and on. The gospel... Here is a true sign that Jesus mentions. The gospel. He says all these other things are birth pains, but the gospel proclaimed around the world, well, that is a true sign. And folks, we are seeing the gospel infiltrate lands and nations and ethnicities that we've never seen it go into before. The gospel is being translated into languages that uh, they, di they didn't even have a written language. The Wycliffe translators are still tra they are translating the Bible into languages that didn't even have a written language. The work is ongoing. And part of the money that you give when you put your dollar in the plate goes to support new translations of Scripture through the cooperative program. And then, lastly, the Antichrist revealed. And so we know that the man of lawlessness will be revealed. And then he goes on to talk about cataclysmic events here in the passage. And he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days... The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Well, why does all of that happen? Well, in the 4th in the century, Cyril of Alexandria wrote, their very nature is again changed by the one who created them. Meaning the sun, the moon, the stars. Just as He wills. And the heavenly bodies will be thrown into disorder. For as humanity is renewed, so the whole creation must be renewed. Which has been created for the sake of humanity is recapitulated and restored. See, God's going to take everything that's all messed up about this world. And at the return of Christ, He's going to make it all new again. And that's what's coming. So what that tells us is that when we look at the world going from bad to worst, and we look at people going on from bad to worst, and we look at the situation and we watch Fox News and we go, oh Lord, I can't believe the way the world is. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. When we see that, we are told not to be dismayed. Not to be disheartened. When you see the world around you falling apart, know that Jesus' return is nearer today than it's ever been before. It ought to encourage you. And so that's the first paradox. That it is going to get worse before it gets better. But that doesn't mean Christians have to stop doing what they do. Christians keep preaching the love of Jesus Christ and showing the love of Jesus Christ until He returns. That's what we're called to do. In a world that's going from bad to worse, we're called to shine even more brightly than ever before. Now here's the second paradox. Y'all like paradoxes yet? 
the more you think you know, the less you probably do. Okay? When you think that you've got it nailed down, especially whenever it comes to a timeline, you're probably wrong. In fact, there, there was some folks that gathered up back, back whenever uh, William Miller, back in the late 1700s, were, he was preaching about the return of Christ. And he said, this, we know for sure that this is when he's going to come. And, and uh, got, people gathered up on mountaintops. People got everything in order and lined out. And they even say that the historians even say that some of the, the aristocratic women gathered together and huddled up together because they didn't want to be out there with the common folks whenever Jesus came back. They all gathered together in their inner rooms. Okay? And Jesus says in the passage, if someone says, look, there He is, or look, there He is, you go over there, He's over there, don't believe them. And then He goes on to say, as lightning flashes from the east to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Listen, stars falling from heaven and sun going dark. And moon not giving its light. I'm telling you what, you're going to recognize it. You will not miss the return of Christ. You will be there. Now when will it happen? Jesus never gives them the answer. They want to know when, and He tells them how. They want a timeline, and Jesus gives them a series of events that don't seem to have any order to them. And just says, this is the way it will be. Jesus even says at the end of the discourse in Matthew 24, verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Now let me tell you this. You can believe that Jesus knows now. He has ascended to the throne. He was speaking... As a, as a man on the earth saying, I don't even know. But you better believe Jesus knows now. He absolutely knows. And He's waiting patiently for the appointed time. Remember what He told His apostles in John 14? He said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and I will return to you and I will take you where I am going, that where I am you may be also. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father and so if you think that you know the day, the hour, 88 reasons why the Lord returned in 1988, right? Well, that didn't work. Let's scratch that. 89 reasons. And then we'll just keep... You know, in all of these predictions, I think about Harold Camping back in 2012. He really believed that the Lord was going to... He sold a lot of books. Because he believed the Lord was returning in 2012. You won't, remit, you won't miss it. And then he goes on to say, then will appear, in verse 30, in heaven, the sign of the Son of Man. Now, they, they argue and they, they, they fuss about that. And they, they say, well, well, maybe it's a cross. So I, I believe it's going to be a cross. I don't know if it'll be a cross. Some say, well, it's the Lord Himself. John Hagee says it's a blood moon. I don't know what it might be. The sign that appears in heaven. But I tell you what, you'll know it when you see it. You will know it when you see it. You don't have to predict what it is and worry about missing it because you will know it when you see it. And here's the thing. If you think you know what it is, you probably don't. <laughs> Why is the second coming so shrouded in mystery? You remember what 
Paul says, he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. Why is it shrouded in mystery? He could have said, I'm coming at this time, this day, this month, this year, at this precise location. What is it that he's doing by not revealing to us precisely the time and location? He's keeping us ready. I mean, I am the world's best procrastinator. I am. So if there were if there were a race and the goal was procrastination, would I win that race or not? I guess that's a paradox. Right? I don't know. But just like me, all of us, we all would. If we knew when the second coming was coming, what would human beings do? We would naturally procrastinate until the very last moment. And so some of us, we, we put it far off in our minds that the return of Christ is out there somewhere. Far down that timeline. Maybe even after we're dead and gone, we think that that's when the Lord will return. So we create our own timeline so that we can procrastinate. That's not what the Lord teaches us to do. What does He say? He says, be ready. Keep watch. Stay awake. Endure. He never says, go to sleep, take a break, let your guard down. Not here on this earth. We can't. And notice that the church has been proclaiming the return of Christ for nearly 2,000 years. I'll tell you what, the church has gotten it right on this point. That we could see the Lord come in the air any moment. And we need to get ready. And we've been preaching that for nearly 2,000 years, yet there will be nations of unbelievers who mourn over the fact that they've ignored the signs of His coming. And when He comes, the Bible says they'll mourn. And in Philippians 2, 9-11, through we made reference to that already this morning. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him, Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. When I think about that, who, who are we talking about? We're talking about all the nations. Not just all the nations, but everyone who resides in heaven. Those who have gone on to be with the Lord already, who are in His presence, as well as the angels, as well as every created being in heaven, will bow. But notice it says, not just on the earth and in heaven, it says, and under the earth. Well, who's that? Well, that's the devil and his minions. They will bow. And every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that's, uh, that's something that people will mourn about. Because rather than being with the people of God in that moment, there will be... Myriads of people who are forced to bow with the devil and his angels. The signs of his coming. You know, uh, I think Bucky's have kind of got it right. They got they they got their signs down, Pat, man. They let you know that it's coming. Way before. I love that sign. 262 miles to Bucky's. You can hold it. 
We see that, see what they're doing is they're getting you to anticipate Bucky's. And you start, you start thinking about beef jerky. And what are, what are the, the glazed almonds? Oof, man, especially when they're hot. It's my favorite. The sign of the coming of the Son of Man. It's not just something that we will see one day. That sign is plastered all over creation. The clock is winding down. He's given us His Word. The church has proclaimed His coming. You and I, as we go out and we live in the world sharing the Gospel, people are hearing the good news. They have every opportunity. Why will they mourn? The reason that people will mourn is because they will remember the moment that you or I or a preacher in a pulpit, a sermon on the radio, a song that was sung that proclaimed that Jesus is coming back one day, that He's a Savior, He's a risen Lord, He's a reigning King, and He's a returning Judge. They've known that, and yet they never bowed. And they will mourn. You can't miss Bucky's, can you? There's way too many signs. You won't miss the return of Christ either. What you're called to do and what I'm called to do is to prepare. C.S. Lewis wrote it this way in the case for Christianity. He said, for this time, the second coming, not the first coming, but the second coming, it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. One thing is clear. The early church, even if, even if we can't put a timeline on any of it, the early church believed that Jesus could return at any moment. You know what Martin Luther said? I love his quote too. He said, he said that on his calendar, he only had today and that day. The only two appointments he had on his calendar. Today and that day. And then he went on to say, he said, I must live like Jesus died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back tonight. You know, if you believe that Jesus is returning today, what it will mean for you, the trivial things don't matter as much. The things that you get worried about, they don't matter as much. You won't live in sin because you won't want to be doing anything wrong. Anything that you'd be embarrassed if He caught you doing. It means I will love my neighbor as myself. I will forgive them and never hold a grudge because Jesus could come back. And it will give me urgency in my witness to go and tell people not that Bucky's is coming, but Jesus is coming. What a paradox. The more you think you know, the less you probably do. But there are some things you can know. You can know with absolute certainty that He's coming back. And you'll never miss it. The third thing. The third paradox. When He comes down, we're going up. Somebody say amen to that. When He comes down, we're going up. We're going to go up 
into the sky. Notice what it says again with me. What Jesus Himself even says. He's saying this to His own disciples. He says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It's going to be different when He comes back, folks. The Bible talks about how he'll be riding a white horse and he'll have written on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then the Bible also says, with just the word of his mouth, the sword of his mouth, he will vanquish all the enemies. I mean, it's always like this big buildup in the book of Revelation. Armageddon, the final battle. And you've got the, all of the forces and the hordes of the enemy on one side. And then you have uh, the, the kingdom of heaven on the other with all of the believers gathered together in robes of white and we're ready for battle. And all we do is basically stand there and watch as Jesus wipes them all out with one word. It's almost like we're just there to spectate. To see Jesus put an end to all of it. We're going to see Him whenever He comes. You know, the apostles were reminded the last thing, right as they were watching Jesus go up into heaven, The angel said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw Him go into heaven. Visibly. You know, when Paul thinks about that, this is what he writes to Titus, who's on the island of Crete preparing it, getting it ready so the church might grow and have pastors there. Titus 2.13, Waiting for our blessed hope. The second coming of Christ for the believer should be your blessed hope. You should wake up thinking every day that this could be the day that the Lord returns. And I'm ready to go if He comes today. But if He doesn't, I'm going to serve Him with everything that I have today. I'm going to lay it all down on the line and I'm not going to leave anything left undone for Him and for His kingdom. I'm going to do exactly what He wants me to do today because He might come tomorrow. Our blessed hope. And notice how Paul renders that blessed hope and what he says. He says it's the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Just to see His face. That's my hope put my hope on the fact that one day I will see Jesus face to face. And just one glimpse of Him in glory will all the toils of life repay. Amen. And so he says, we'll see Him. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. In verse 31, and He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds. That word gather is the word episynagogue. Synagogue means gather, and epi means to cause it to be gathered, or to put upon it, to cause it to be gathered together. Cause to come together to a particular location. Now you can imagine what it would be like to see an angel for the first time. If you've never seen an angel before, some of you have told me that you've seen angels before. I've met people that have seen angels and it left an impact on them for the rest of their life that they saw that angel. And it's going to be amazing. But imagine the first time you see an angel, the angel goes, get up, let's go. <laughs> now that's going, to be, that's going to be amazing. And then you're caught up. 
So this word episynagogue, is, it means to gather together. But there's another word in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, and we, we derive the word rapture. It comes from the Latin, the Latin translation of arpazo, which is a Greek word. It means to be caught up together or snatched up. One day there's going to be an angel that comes to the... If you're still alive when the Lord returns, there's going to be an angel that comes and you're going to get snatched up from wherever you are, and you're going to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4.17, Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them, who is them? Those that have gone on to be with the Lord, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. There's no secret rapture of the church. But there will be a public revelation of the church. It's not some select 144,000. Look again with me. And they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now that word elect is used all throughout the New Testament to speak specifically of the church. And here, when we see it here in the Scripture, we're talking about those who are left at the return of Christ. Those who are still alive then, who haven't gone on to be with the Lord. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race. When he says that to you, he's, he's speaking to the church. And the same word, ek eklektos, is used there. He's speaking to the church and he says, You are the elect, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So who are the elect? Not some 144,000 only. The elect are the church. All the ages. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 52. It speaks about how this will happen at the last trumpet. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Notice this, at the last trumpet. Okay, For the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. There's a bunch of trumpets in Revelation. And some say, well, at this trumpet. No, at this trumpet. No, at this trumpet. Well, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians? When will it happen? The last trumpet. In fact, there's another passage that we kind of skipped over, and I missed it, and I'm, I'm sorry I missed it. But you, can you go back to 2 Thessalonians? I want to insert it here. Okay, we'll put it in there. 2 Thessalonians 2.1. Paul sees... The second coming of Christ and the rapture as one and the same event. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. Is it on there? It should have been toward the beginning. Okay, I'm sorry. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him. Paul puts those two events together. And notice that if it was a secret rapture and then later a second coming, why wouldn't he put the rapture first and then the second coming? But that's not the order he chooses. He says the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him. And then the next verse he says concerning that day, as if it's one day. It's one event. Now why is this important? Well, let's go back to the first point for just a minute. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And if you think for just a moment that 
I'm going to be out of here when this stuff gets bad. You might lose your witness. You might decide that I don't have to work each and every day as if it's the day of Christ's return. So you got to keep on. When He comes down, we're going up. You know the word Maranatha? It's a Syriac expression that means our Lord comes. I want you to just say it with me. Maranatha. I'm going to say it one more time. Maranatha. Okay? It was used as a greeting in the early church. When believers gathered or parted, parted, they didn't say hello or goodbye, but they said, Maranatha, our Lord comes. And if we had that same outlook today, wouldn't it revolutionize the church in the way that we do everything that we do? I'll tell you one story real quickly by the British explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton. They were on a South Pole expedition. And he left a few men on Elephant Island promising that he would return. Later when he tried to go back, huge icebergs blocked the way. But suddenly, if by a miracle, an avenue opened up in the ice and Shackleton was able to get through, his men, ready and waiting, quickly scrambled aboard. No sooner had the ship cleared the island than the ice crashed together behind them. And contemplating their narrow escape, the explorer said to his men, it was very fortunate that you were packed and ready to go. Well, they replied, we never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other, the boss may come today. An old hymn by Horatius Bonner exhorted us to be ready for the last moment by being ready in every moment. And this is what he said. So attending to every duty that let him come when he may, he finds the house in perfect order awaiting his return. When you leave church today, I want you to say to the people around you, not goodbye, or not have a good day, or have a good week. I want you to say Maranatha. And I want you to mean it. I want you to mean our love, our our Lord comes. And I want you to mean that because you're ready for Him to come. And if today you sit here in this place, And you're not sure that you're ready for Jesus to come back right now. This very moment. I want you to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. That's what He's inviting you to do today. And the moment that you say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that you're a sinless Savior who died for me. Will you be my Savior? The moment that you do that, you become ready for His return. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're ready to make that commitment to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm bowing my knee today to the risen Lord. 
you pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done that which I know is wrong. And I failed to do that which I know is right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life. That you were crucified for me, a sinner. And that on the third day you left the tomb and you're seated at the right hand of the Father and you may come any moment. You are Lord of all. And I want to be ready for when you return. So Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new person. Thank you for my salvation. Now I'll spend the rest of my life living for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Now if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer with all of your heart, something very special has happened in your heart. The Lord Jesus has made you a new person. He's forgiven all of your sin, past, present, and future. He's written your, names down, your name down in the Lamb's book of life. And He said when He returns, He's going to come back for you so that you may be where He is also. He has a purpose for your life. And He wants you to find out more about that purpose so that you can serve Jesus. And we are welcoming you now to come and share what Jesus has done in your heart. We have resources for you. We have a small group for you. We have a baptistry that's ready for you to make your declaration permanent and seal it with the sign of the new covenant. And so this is your invitation to come. If you're looking for a family of believers to join, to love, to serve Jesus, then you come. Myrtle Grove Baptist Church will welcome you into the family of faith. And if you simply need prayer, our altar counselors will be here at the front to welcome you here, to pray with you any way that you need prayer, or you can simply come to the altar or pray right there in your pew. This is your invitation as well. Let's go to the Lord.